just because you had the best intentions doesn't mean that you will do the most good. We can be very passionate about the right things and yet go about pursuing it in all the wrong ways. Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes and I'll be your host here today. In this episode, I'd like to talk about the story of St. Paul. Particularly, as you might have read from the title, it's about how St. Paul shows us that good intentions, mere good intentions, simply are not enough. I'd like to highlight Paul's testimony which we find in Acts chapter 22 and this testimony is him talking about recounting what happened way back in Acts chapter 9. So, in the entire book of Acts, we find both the story, the actual events of what happened to St. Paul, as well as what happened after and his eventual retelling of the story when he was sharing it to other people already. As you may know, St. Paul is not one of the Twelve Apostles. However, he is called by Jesus, particularly here in the events that happened in Acts chapter 9, when he was on his way to persecute Christians. He wasn't always a friend of the way of the Christians back at that time. He was one of the Jews who were actively driving them out, actively putting them in prison. And while he was on his way to Damascus, he was met by Christ himself. And here, he had a change of heart. And this is something that he pondered on for years until eventually, after reconciling everything, after, after receiving this new direction from the Lord, he starts evangelizing the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And we find in the New Testament his correspondence, at least the ones from his side. We find letters to different communities that he sends to different um places, different locations where Christian communities have started either because of his work or the work of another disciple. And here we find him encouraging them, giving them advice, um, helping them sort out their issues, calling them to go back to the Lord. The letter to the Romans was written by Paul. The letter to the Corinthians was written by Paul. The letter to Timothy was written by Paul. We find a lot of these letters, not all, but a lot of these letters in the New Testament written by Paul. Paul was a very influential man. And this part of his story, his calling, is very central to him, is very important to him. And I'd like to talk about it with you today with a certain focus. Because I think that as good as this story is, there is a tendency for us to mischaracterize it sometimes, to imagine it in the wrong way. Now, what do I mean by that? It can be so easy to take a look at this story and look at Paul as an evil man with evil intentions doing evil things. But then Jesus meets him and then suddenly he's all good now because he's met Jesus. But it's not that simple. And for us to understand this further, let's take a look at the text itself. In Acts chapter 22, verses 3 to 5, Paul says, I am a Jew born at Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. 
As a pupil of Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I have always been zealous toward God, just as all of you are today. I even persecuted the followers of this way to their death, sending both men and women to prison in chains, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify. From them, I also received the letters to our brethren in Damascus, and I set out to bring prisoners back from there to Jerusalem for punishment. This is how Paul recounts why he was headed to Damascus in order to persecute more Christians. And he mentions in this passage that he is a pupil of Gamaliel, who was Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a well-known Pharisee. He was a disciple of a Pharisee, which means that he was trying to be a faithful Jew, at least trying. So he was trying to be a faithful Jew, trying to adhere to the law the best that he can, the law that they received from their ancestors, that they received from the Lord. Notice how it says, he says here, that I have always been zealous toward God. He wanted to be faithful to God. He wanted to obey God. He wanted everyone, his people, to be faithful to God because that's what they were supposed to do. They were the people of God. And how was he being faithful to God? He said, I even persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Is it right? No. But why was he doing it? His intentions weren't wrong, but his ways were wrong. Paul wasn't persecuting the Christians because he was going against God. Quite the opposite. He was a faithful Jew, a zealous Jew. He was persecuting the Christians because he was, quote-unquote, defending God. Now, what does that mean? Let's read more passages from Paul, this time from Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Undoubtedly, you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism, how I fiercely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I progressed in Judaism far beyond many of my contemporaries inasmuch as I was more zealous in upholding the traditions of my elders. We find that word again, zealous. And how does he relate that word to his actions? He said, I fiercely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Why? Because he was zealous. He was zealous for the Lord, not because he hated the Lord. He loved the Lord. And because he loved the Lord so much, he wanted to do this for the Lord. Another instance that we find is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. Paul says, If anyone thinks that he has reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life. I was one of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. In regard to religious zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. In regard to righteousness under the law, I was without fault. So here Paul describes himself as a Pharisee, straight on. And then he uses that word again, religious zeal. And where does he relate it? He says, in regard to religious zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He was persecuting the church of Christ, not because he hated God, but because he loved God. Do you notice the complexity 
of that, Paul seems to make this connection between zeal and persecution. Now, before we get to the specific intention, let's talk more about that word, zeal. What do we mean when we say zeal? How would we describe it today? What word comes to our minds when we hear the word zeal? We think of something like passion, right? When you're so passionate about something, you're so zealous, and that is related. Zeal is an Old Testament idea, and Paul is intentionally drawing from this idea. We find it in someone like Elijah, the prophet Elijah from Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10 or 14. Why do I say 10 or 14? Because 10 and 14 says the same thing. It says the same thing. It says, He answered, I have been zealous for the Lord. He used that word again. The God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets by the sword. I am the only survivor, and they are seeking to take my life away. So Elijah describes himself as zealous. Why? Because the Israelites have turned away from God. And it has extended to this murderous effects, these blasphemous actions. The prophets have been killed. The altars have been desecrated. And so Elijah burns with passion, wanting to do something about it. And before, right before this chapter, what we find is Elijah having a showdown with the prophets of the false gods. And that ends in death also. So what we find is that this Old Testament idea of zeal is related to turning away from God. A reaction to turning away from God. And so they want to do something because of the, the, their love for the Lord, their zeal for the Lord. They want to do something about these people who are turning away from God. Now, it's one thing for pagans to turn away from God. But when it's the people of God, the Israelites who themselves are turning away from God, it brings out this even greater desire to do something about it and to call them back. Or sometimes just to stop them. We also find this in another guy. Now, who is the very first person in the scriptures who is described as having this kind of zeal? We find his story in the book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible. His name is Phinehas. Yes, it's the same. It's, it's probably where Phinehas and Ferb came from, that name. Okay, Phinehas, he is the first zealot. Zealot as in someone who is zealous. This happened during a time when the people of Israel were in the wilderness. They were supposed to worship the one and only Lord, but they were turning away from Him and they started sleeping with Moabite women, which they were instructed not to do. These Moabite women, of course, brought their gods with them and the, the people of Israel started worshiping these other gods as well. And so there was a crisis. There was an issue because they weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to be faithful to the Lord who set them free from their oppressors, from their slavers in Egypt. And now we're in the, in the middle of the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land, and they haven't even gotten there, and the people of God were already turning away. And so we find Phinehas, someone who was very passionate, someone who was very zealous. And what does he do? In Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 to 8, it says, Then one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his relatives before the eyes of Moses and before the eyes of the whole assembly of the people of Israel who were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he got up 
and left the assembly taking a spear in his hand. He followed the Israelite into the tent. He then drove it into both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's stomach. This is how the plague among the people of Israel was stopped. You have an Israelite taking a Moabite woman into their tent, and while they were doing it, Phinehas steps in and spears them both for their unfaithfulness. Pretty graphic, and it's so easy to, again, mischaracterize these things. But let's remove our modern and postmodern lenses for a while and try to take a look at what the authors are trying to tell us here, trying to communicate to us here. Why was this zeal very much present in someone like Phineas? It was because what they had with them there was the presence of God in the tabernacle. And then you have the Israelites going after other women and other gods and even having sex in, in their tents, the tents among them. And Phineas, burning with passion, does something about this. He stops them. This, the, this zeal is the passion to preserve the purity and faithfulness of Israel to the Lord. Am I endorsing this kind of behavior? Of course not. This was a different time. This was a different calling. We need to understand this. Phinehas, however, is someone who is mentioned also in the Psalms. And he is mentioned in a favorable manner. In Psalm 106, verses 28 to 31, this describes the events that happened back in Numbers, which we just read. It says, They joined in worshipping Baal of Peor and ate food sacrificed to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord to anger by their evil deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and executed judgment, and the plague came to an end. This was credited to him as righteousness for all the generations to come. It's pretty obvious by now that this Phineas is different from the Phineas in Phineas and Ferb, right? Very much different. Can we better picture now where this is coming from? I think an idea that we might relate to better is something that a later movement did. There was a later movement after the time of Jesus and they also called themselves the Zealots. And they called themselves the Zealots because they were burning with this kind of zeal. What were they? They were guerrilla warriors. They hid among the mountains in the cave and they battled the Roman oppressors with violence, with what they can try to Imagine, right, if there was a foreign invader in your land and all you had to do was hide in the wilderness and fight them there and do something about it. They were burning with passion because they wanted to reclaim their land and they wanted to go back to the Lord. Their, their motto was, no king but God, only God. We will not serve Caesar. We will not serve your emperor. And so this was what they did. They revolted against Rome. They were freedom fighters. They were revolutionaries. And they were not afraid to use violence. If that is what will set things right. A possible zealot that we find in the Gospels is Barabbas. Remember the guy who was brought by Pilate in front of the people and they were made to choose whether the people would free Jesus or free Barabbas? Remember how Jesus was brought there because he was accused of what? Of being 
a revolutionary. He was accused of starting an uprising. And then Barabbas was brought forth and the people chose to free Barabbas. And who was Barabbas? Barabbas is someone who actually was starting an uprising, who actually was a revolutionary. But Jesus, who was falsely condemned for it, is the one who went to the cross. I did an episode on this, episode 40, if you'd like to know more about the story of Barabbas. These zealots, these freedom fighters, were inspired by people like Phineas, Elijah, or even the recent Maccabees of their time. Now let's go back to Paul and his zeal. What does Paul see? Being a faithful Jew, a faithful Pharisee, what does he see? He looks around and he finds these Jews worshipping a guy named Jesus, whom he had never met, whom, for him, was easily translatable as, Oh no, the people of God were worshipping another god again, a false idol. I need to do something about this. Like Elijah did something about this. Like Phinehas did something about this. And so he wanted to capture the Christians because he thought that they were Jews, people of God who were worshipping a different God. He did not make the connection yet that Jesus is God. And that is why Jesus reveals himself to him. In Acts chapter 22, verses 6 to 8, he says, While I was on my way and drawing near Damascus around midday, a great light from the sky suddenly shone all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And then the realizations started to occur. Oh, Jesus is not a false god. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the God of the Israelites. He has come. I'm not supposed to be persecuting him because them worshiping this Jesus is not an idol. It's not false worship. I should be worshiping him too. And I should be spreading his name as well. You see, the zeal of Paul, the passion of Paul, did not die out. He was not a hateful man wanting to do evil things. He had good intentions. He wanted to defend the Lord. That's what he wanted. But that doesn't mean that he did about it in the right ways. And that's how we see that good intentions are not enough. You can have all the best intentions in the world, yet cause so much damage. And what's beautiful about this is we find Paul who was so zealous in serving the Lord. This time, nung natauhan na siya, he translated that zeal, that same passion that he had from persecuting Christians to evangelizing the Gentiles. It was the same zeal that he carried, but it was directed to a different way. The same intentions of wanting to be faithful to the Lord was translated into different actions. Good intentions aren't enough. And he realized Jesus is Lord. That's what changed him. He was gone for many years after this, before he started his ministry. And he had to sort out his mind. All of this is what we find from the scriptures. Now, I'd like to share with you my personal reflections on this. Good intentions 
don't guarantee effective solutions. In Catholic teaching, when we're determining the morality of an action, whether an action is right or wrong, we have three things that we want to take a look at. The first is the action itself or the object. Second is the intention. And third is the circumstances, which includes the consequences. Notice how the intention is just one out of three. Just because you had the best intentions doesn't mean that you will do the most good. We can be very passionate about the right things and yet go about pursuing it in all the wrong ways. For example, we want to save the environment. Good intention, very much so. Well, what do we do? We throw tomato soup on priceless paintings. We glue our hands on the pavement or on all sorts of things. Eh, bad solution. Another example, we want people to change their minds on a certain social issue that we care about that matters. It's a matter of justice. Good intention. What do we do? We, you know, insult them. We call them bobo on Facebook. We act as if we're more moral and more intelligent, even if we know very little about why and how they think that way. We alienate the people and act surprised when they become defensive and they double down on their opinions, even if their opinions really are wrong. Because what we're doing is a bad solution. We have good intentions. We want people to think in the right way. But what do we do? We insult them. It doesn't help. It doesn't matter if you have the right stance. They won't be convinced by your pride and arrogance. This is something that I, I say every now and then to people. I don't know which is more dangerous. A person who knowingly does evil or a person who mistakenly thinks he is doing good. Kasi kung tayo yung mali, pero konbinsido tayo na tayo yung tama, ipaglalaban natin yun eh. Pero kung alam natin nung una pa lang na mali tayo, or at least na posible na mali tayo, at least aware tayo na may kailangan tayong itama. What's terrible about this is that sometimes we can have really good advocacies, really good things that we want to stand up for, but because we go about it in the wrong way, People, other people find it harder to take the issues seriously. Like, yeah, so many people are dismissing uh, talks and ideas of, of protecting the environment because there are so many people who are going about it in all of these silly ways. It ends up harming the movement even more when there is a real need to do something about this. We are called to be stewards of creation after all. It is a very good thing that we must do, but we should go about it in the right ways. Good intentions don't guarantee effective solutions. And then we, what else do we do? To make it worse, we tie the bad solutions to the good intentions and we treat them as one. We weaponize it. We do this all the time with social issues and political issues. Ah, so you disagree with this bill or you disagree with this law. Uh, that might mean that you're pro this abuse or that you're pro this action. When uh, that doesn't follow, we could completely agree that an issue needs to be addressed while disagreeing on the right way to address it. Yun ang pag-usapan natin, di ba? Instead of criticizing one another for our false perceptions of their intentions, let's talk about what solutions will actually help. Because we can have the same intentions but have two completely different ways 
of providing solutions. That's possible. And it happens a lot. More than we'd like to accept. It's just that it's easier now when you disagree with someone, you condemn them by saying, ah, ah, ito pala gusto mo. Let's not do that. It's not charitable. Let's learn to give one another the benefit of the doubt. And perhaps while we speak and listen to one another, then we can arrive at the best solutions to our shared intentions. Our culture is growing increasingly polarized by the day with every new sensational issue. And then we take sides. And then we mischaracterize each other. And then we're unable to separate intentions from actions. Someone can have the best intentions but the worst actions. And someone can have the best actions but have the worst intentions. That is called being manipulative. It's not enough to have good intentions. What we need, like Paul, is continual transformation, which is ushered by both repentance and humility. This is why in Matthew, the very first preaching that Jesus gives goes like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. Go back to the Lord. Allow Him to change your heart and mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is what Paul says. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds so that you will be able to discern the will of God and to know what is good and acceptable and perfect. And to wrap up this episode, I'd like to read to you how Paul talked about his change, his transformation. We already read the first part of this earlier. This is from Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about his past, all of the things that he used to boast about, and then he talks about where he was by the time that he was writing this. Having, knowing Christ and having him as his Lord. This is what we find. Philippians 3, 4-9 If anyone thinks that he has reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life. I was one of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew, the son of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. In regard to religious zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. In regard to righteousness under the law, I was without fault. All these I once regarded as assets, but now I have come to regard them as losses because of Christ. Even more than that, I count everything as lost because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all other things, and I regard them as so much rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Good intentions don't guarantee effective solutions. Let's have the humility and the openness of heart to approach Jesus and allow Him to shape both our intentions and our actions. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, you may do that by going to ko-fi.com slash notsosecular. That's ko-fi.com slash notsosecular. The link to that is in the description. Or if you'd like to take the GCash option, there is a link to that in the description as 
Well, I hope this episode was helpful to you. If it was, and you think it would be helpful for someone else as well, share this on your Instagram, on your Facebook as a DM. That would be very much appreciated. And please, please, please continue praying for me. Continue praying for us. God bless you. And I'll see you in our next episode. Bye.